You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 542 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, back in the home studio by myself for the first time in quite a while. If you missed it, I actually somehow recorded a podcast after each of the last three games, despite weird travel and bad logistics and a couple of guest appearances by, by Jeff Siegel, which were really helpful in helping me do that. So shouts to him. But we're back on a relatively normal schedule now, and the uh, the Hawks fell by a final score of 114-113 to 113 at the hands of the Miami Heat on this fine Monday evening. A pretty interesting game in a lot of respects. A couple of ugly moments in terms of just, uh, you know, I guess, uh, unsightly basketball overall. But in general, a pretty competitive game, and the Hawks get a one-point loss. I I will say before we get to that game itself, though, there was one bit of news that I wanted to hit on, and that was Trey Young not winning Player of the Week honors. Um, I think I talked about this a little bit with Jeff on yesterday's podcast, and I tweeted about it quite a bit. On Monday, I was uh, pretty surprised that Trey Young did not win Player of the Week honors. Um, candidly, we had a post set up, I'm kind of ready to go at PeachtreeHoops.com if that, if and when that came to fruition. And honestly, if you asked me Monday morning whether Trey was going to win or not, I would have told you it was almost certainly going to be yes, um, because he had the best numbers by far. Um, frankly, this is not a huge deal in the grand scheme because it's a Player of the Week honor that no one will, will remember in a couple of weeks even, but. At the same time, Young should have won it, and uh, even though I kind of pride myself on this podcast and in my writing and on Twitter, all that fun stuff, and being pretty impartial, I'm not someone who's a big homer, but uh, this felt like kind of a silly thing that that the NBA did here. Uh, Just for some reference points here, Troy Young averaged 35 points, 10 assists, and 5 rebounds per game over 4 games. Uh, with 51% from the floor and 56% from three. So obviously outrageously good numbers over a four-game sample. The player that did win in the Eastern Conference was Ben Simmons, who only played in three games. The Sixers were 2-1, and one, the Hawks were 2-2, two and two, so I guess that could be small part of it, but it wasn't like Philly was undefeated and blew everybody out. They did have a loss along the way. Um, and Simmons averaged 17 points, 13 rebounds, and 8 assists per game. 55% from the floor, so obviously a really nice week from Ben Simmons on the on the whole. Had a couple of triple doubles as well, but didn't didn't make any threes, obviously, so less efficient than Trey Young was, and uh, obviously not, not quite as explosive in terms of the numbers. I understand that Trey played a quadruple overtime game, but a lot of that um, was sort of mitigated by the fact that his numbers were so much better than Ben Simmons' numbers along the way here. Obviously, Trey had the ejection too, but even then, he had a good game before he got ejected in the last contest, and I thought this was kind of a slam dunk. And just for good measure... You normally would sort of see the NBA default to someone who has not won before. Trey's not won this award. The Hawks have not had anybody win this award in quite some time, actually. So, kind of jarring that he didn't win it. I will say the, um, I, I guess the caveat being that uh, it was kind of, there was some uh, conspiracy theories flying around because the Western Conference was one one Donovan Mitchell. So, it's a pretty obvious narrative to have Simmons and Mitchell both win in the two conferences, which could have been part of this. I won't go ahead and say that it was, but it was kind of just a weird thing. Philly did play against better competition than Atlanta. That's the one thing that you could sort of point to, uh, other than rebounding, that Simmons did better than Young was playing against better teams, but they had a loss as well, and this is kind of a crazy thing, and to the point where I felt like I was going crazy that um, I was disappointed in this. Not necessarily just like, it's not crushing, it's not 
that that unfortunate in the grand scheme of things. But again, Young just should have won it. And uh, sometimes it can be as simple as that. And uh, sort of this uh, was not necessarily the right decision made by the league. So I wanted to leave with that just a little bit here. Show off my uh, my human side because I know I'm always accused of being a little bit too negative and too um, cold with some of this stuff. But Young should have won it. And that's kind of where I was on that particular thing. Okay, we can get to the game itself now. We'll start at the top, um, just, I guess before tip-off, with the fact that the Hawks were actually pretty big underdogs in this game. They were 10-point underdogs by tip-off. That came as a result of John Collins missing this game. Um, again, with flu-like symptoms, he actually did make the trip to Miami, just, just did not play. He was doubtful before the game started and then ruled out shortly before tip-off. Torian Prince also was not in Miami. He had actually, I guess, announced on Twitter that he uh, that he had a baby this week, so you know, congrats to Torian on that. That's why he missed the last two games. He'll be back. I, I, would, I would assume he'll be back, back in the lineup on Wednesday against San Antonio at home. But the Hawks were without two of their rotation guys in this game, in addition to Marty Spellman, who's going to be out for four weeks or so. So, obviously pretty short-handed, and the Hawks were on a second night of a back-to-back set, with Miami playing a little bit better recently, and the Heat had the day off on Sunday. So that kind of, all those factors, you know, injuries, etc., and the, and the rest advantage led to Miami at home being a 10-point favorite, I should say. Also, they were without Goran Dragic, so it wasn't like they were full strength, but still, the expectation was in this game that Miami was going to win it pretty comfortably, at least according, at least according to Vegas. And uh, in the early going, I will say I kind of felt the same way because the Heat opened the game with a 10-2 run out of, out of the gate, and they opened up by making four of the first five shots. The Hawks looked a little bit sluggish and shell-shocked. And at that point in time, I would have probably bet you that the Hawks were going to lose by 20 points because they just, they just looked awful. They looked listless. But you know, to their credit, they, they battled throughout this game, including down the stretch. Um Notes from the first quarter of this contest, it was Alex Poitras getting some backup center minutes because the Hawks started for the second straight game. Alex Lynn and Dwayne Devin played together. From there, they kind of staggered those guys, but they did they did play Poitras at center a little bit with Vince Carter uh, in the first quarter. They used um, B.J. Johnson as the backup wing alongside Membry um, over Justin Anderson, who did, who did who actually did, did play a little bit in this game, but not as much as, as Johnson did. Um, other than that, though, the first quarter was marked by Miami shooting the ball quite well, as, as they did really the entire night long. Um, and the Hawks, though, were great on the offensive glass to kind of stay afloat in this contest. They had seven offensive rebounds in the first quarter, which is a huge number, and only three turnovers, which kind of allowed them to shoot poorly and still be able to hang around. And the Hawks got up 14 three-point attempts in the first quarter and took a lot of threes in this game, 46 for the night, but 40, 14 out of the gate in the first quarter, sort of setting the tone about, about how they were going to approach things offensively. Um, in the second quarter, though, Vince Carter kind of got, got, got it going, and obviously, if you were watching this game, you would know that Vince eventually hit seven threes, which is uh, obviously one of the big storylines of this game. But um, he had two... He hit two. He hit two early in the, in the second quarter to give the Hawks the lead. He hit four in the first quarter and a half, and that, that was enough to pass Reggie Miller on the scoring list all time. I, I believe he is number twenty overall now, which is kind of crazy. Vince is obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer in my opinion, but uh, he's he was fantastic in this game. We'll talk more about him later. Other notes though from the first half: Kevin Herter had three fouls in his first seven minutes. Not a guy who's terribly foul prone, but that was sort of a weird thing that uh, sort of capped his minutes a little bit in the first in the first half, um, and that was uh, easy to easy to explain why he wasn't playing quite as much. Um, there was some jarringly bad decisions um, and offensive possessions made in the first half from the Hawks. They were allowed to do that, I guess, by the fact that they were crashing offensive of glass so much and creating extra possessions. But in general, there was some ugly offensive execution and um, overall possessions in that first half. Although they were able to stay afloat, though, which is at least worth noting. 
uh, Kent Bazemore got off to a slow start and then had a nice bounce back in the middle and then sort of cooled off again. We'll talk about his full game later on, but uh, good to see him kind of get going a little bit late in the first half. He was 5 of 30 in the couple games before this one, and then he was not good in this game either in terms of efficiency, but nice at least to have him have a positive stretch late in the second quarter. The highlight of the night for the Hawks, in terms of just the actual play, was DeAndre Bembry with an unbelievable dunk in traffic late in the first half. That ended up actually being a reverse dunk, the rare reverse dunk that was actually practical. He needed to, he probably kind of needed to do that in order to finish it. It was an awesome play by Bembry, sort of in a half court setting. You don't really see that, a dunk like that quite often off the dribble in a half court. That was an awesome play by Bembry. Uh, he's capable of that. He probably has like one a night where it's like a, kind of a head turning play. And also had a, had a nice block in this game as well. But that that dunk was uh, massive. There was. A nice run though to close the half to tie the game from uh, from Atlanta. It was, it was yeah, it was good. Just good, good to see them play sort of feisty. Get get, get the ball. Get sort of get the uh, game to the half in a tie situation after being trailing um, for much of the first half. Honestly. The Hawks didn't shoot it great, but again, got up 27 three-point attempts in the first half, had 15 assists, nine offensive rebounds. Still some questionable defense, though. A 121 defensive rating in the first half because Miami shot the ball great, uh, as they did kind of throughout the night. It was a theme the entire game, but worth noting here as we sort of get to the halfway point of the game is that Miami trapped the ball with Trey Young pretty much all night long in the pick and roll. They got the, they got the ball out of his hands and sort of it was clear that Young was not quite as comfortable as he's been in recent days and as a result didn't play as well as he has in recent days. We'll talk more about him later, but that was kind of the big thing that was worth noting. Uh, Miami's defense didn't necessarily, quote, work all that well in the grand scheme because the Hawks were still able to score pretty effectively, but in terms of just containing Young, that, that might be a blueprint that other teams use because it did work to some extent for Miami. After the halftime break, a couple of uh, runs back and forth. Um, there was a young to Debman alley-oop to start the second half, but from there, Miami had a 7-0 run to take the lead. The Hawks then though, responded with a B.J. Johnson-led run of 6-0 to take the lead back. So uh, that's kind of the... Um, I guess that's sort of the tale of runs there in the third quarter, but it was a really ugly period overall. The Hawks shot 37% from the floor with six turnovers in the third quarter. Miami had their one bad shooting quarter of the entire game with 41%, and in general, I tweeted this, but it was not going to be a Springfield Hall of Fame-bound third quarter tape. It was just kind of listless play on both ends of the floor. Nothing like terribly ghastly on either side of the floor, but just kind of some uh, anonymous basketball, honestly, in the third quarter. The fourth quarter was was much more exciting, which we'll uh, sort of pick up there. Miami opened things up with a 5-0 run in the fourth and actually closed with the last four points of the third quarter. So it was a 9-0 run overall to take the lead. The Hawks did take the lead briefly at the nine-minute mark of the uh, fourth quarter, but from there, the Heat led the entire rest of the way, although things definitely did get dicey. There was an 11-2 run by by Miami to take the lead and kind of take full control of the game. Um, But from there, uh, Vince Carter hit another three, his seventh of the night to get back within six. It was his first time hitting seven threes since 2014. So that was kind of a crazy uh, performance from Vince all the way around. But uh, sort of the blow by blow in the last two and a half minutes, um, Trey Young got fouled by Justice Winslow, and actually Winslow, Winslow got a technical foul off of that. Trey missed the technical foul free throw, but then made the other two free throws to get back within four with 2.04 to go. That sort of was a pretty big play in the game because the Hawks then were able to, they committed a foul on Ronnie Magruder with, with 144 to go, but he only made one of two to get back within five, and then Benbury found Poitras for a layup to make it a one-possession game. Then there was a stop on Dwayne Wade with 116 to go. He turned it over, and then Young got to the rim and laid it up for a uh, a big bucket to get back within one. So at that point in time, the Hawks down one with about a minute to go, a pretty uh, big swing from where they had been just a few moments earlier. Wade then did score, and he was great in the fourth quarter to get back within, to get, put them back up, uh, up by three points, and then Young 
Young, though. Young turned it over with about 40 seconds to go, and the Hawks down by three. At that point, it seemed like it was pretty dire, but um, the Hawks did got a, the Hawks did, did get a stop against Dwayne Wade, but didn't get the rebound. Fortunately for uh, Miami, sorry, fortunately for Atlanta, Miami uh, was not in the bonus. And as a result of that, they had to inbound the ball. They turned it over pretty quickly after that with about 10, 10 seconds to go. There was a timeout from the Hawks. Um, then the Hawks executed very well, got Kent Bazemore fouled down three with about nine seconds to go. He made both. But the kind of the weirdest play of the game in some respects was the last play of the game. The Hawks were unable to foul for the, for nine seconds. Normally, nine seconds is an eternity when you're trying to get a foul. And I mean, if it takes you a little bit of time to get a foul there, um, down one, it's just an auto foul situation. Everyone knows you're going to foul, and at some point, you're going get, to get the foul off. But Miami managed to dodge the foul the entire time. If you missed that, it was just kind of a perfect, perfectly executed play by Miami and some uh, mistakes mistakes made by, by the Hawks defensively. But you know, all things considered, it was definitely a disappointing end for the Hawks. Considering they battled all the way back to make that a very interesting game, because if you get a foul there worst case scenario down three with a chance to tie it in the final seconds of the game but not never getting the ball back never getting a foul disappointing still the Hawks played better than you would think that they would play on the third game in four nights on the road against a team that's not um, great by any means but Miami is better than the Hawks you know slightly <laughs> I will say um, but still the Hawks played well and overall you know big the biggest thing honestly down the stretch was that Dwayne Wade was just cooking he had 14 points in the fourth quarter um, kind of fitting that Dwayne would uh, kind of go off you know he's had some success against the Hawks most of the time it was in Miami because in Atlanta he would often not play <laughs> during his prime, which is kind of funny. But he had 20, 23 points overall and 14 in the fourth quarter. Good to see him sort of probably in his last game against Atlanta because he's going to be retiring. And, of course, the Hawks are not going to be playoff bound this year. So um, this is the – by the way, the Hawks had a chance to sweep the season series. The Hawks actually won the first three games against Miami this year. But uh, Wade's performance kind of allowed them to – I guess get, get the one victory of the year for Miami over Atlanta. Still a pretty good performance, all things considered. And and, and, a, and a Kevin Herter jersey swap. So shouts to Kevin Herter for getting that at the end of the game from Dwayne Wade. It's been a talking point all season long as to who Wade was going to be swapping jerseys with. Um, that is uh, sort of the big picture um, in terms of the blow-by-blow accounts here. But defensively, the Hawks had some, pro- had some trouble in this contest. They did, they did force 19 turnovers, which is good. Um, but in terms of shooting, Miami was just cooking all night long. 56% from the floor is going to be you know, enough to get most teams beat. And 39% from three as well from the Heat. A 64% true shooting is an excellent number. Um, the turnovers were the only thing that really kept the Hawks uh, engaged on that end of the floor, but still a 116 defensive rating. That's pretty bad against a team that's a bottom 10 offense in Miami. Miami's not good offensively. And obviously Wade was sort of in his bag in this game, but guys like Winslow and Richardson were able to kind of get wherever they wanted to go. Even Deion Waiters had some nice moments for Miami. So a pretty di- disappointing defensive performance in some ways for the Hawks. Offensively, it ended up working out okay because the Hawks scored at a clip of 115.2. That's better than their normal um, performance um, offensively. They didn't shoot it great, 42% from the floor, but did have 37% from three on 46 attempts. That's a ton. Got to the line 25 times, made 80% of those. That kind of allowed them to stay afloat and did rebound the ball very well throughout the game on the offensive glass. So that that sort of unusual... Um, formula allowed the Hawks to stick around offensively and do enough in this game. We'll talk about the individual players here in a second, but that was enough to keep the game close in a slow-paced game that still went over 110 points for both teams because of the offensive execution that was happening on both ends of the floor. Um, okay, that's enough for uh, for that particular segment of the podcast. We will come back in, in a moment to talk about the rest of the individual players in this game. I do want to take a moment to tell you to subscribe to this podcast, the Lots on Hawks podcast, via whichever podcast platform that you would like to do, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, 
player.fm. There's all kinds of podcast platforms. Um, if you have if you have one that I've not said out loud just now, Overcast is another one. Um, if you have another one that's, that you can't find us on, please let me know that, and I will try to get that updated as, as quickly as possible. But please subscribe. Please leave five-star feedback. As a note, this podcast will not be on PeachtreeHoops.com uh, moving forward because the ATL and 29 podcast, shouts to KL Shinar, will be there. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. I listen to that podcast quite a bit. There's plenty of room for both of us, but please subscribe to this podcast via podcast platforms and uh, leave five-star five feedback. Tell your friends. Do all that fun stuff. We'll be back again in just a few seconds to talk about the individual players in this game. Okay, we're back, and uh, the individual players, lots to get to in this game, honestly. We're going to begin with the starters, which is sort of the inverse of what we normally would do on this podcast, but it's kind of interesting the way I wanted to do it in this game. The starter that had the worst time of it was Alex Lynn. Minus 6, which isn't terrible necessarily, but 21, 21 minutes, 0 of 6 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 points. Lynn was um, interestingly used in this spot, like... For the most part, other than starting the first and third quarters, it was mostly a reserve performance from Lynn, almost like he was off the bench in a lot of ways, but just didn't have it going in this game. Kind of a good matchup for him in some ways, against Whiteside especially, but the Hawks didn't line him up with Whiteside as much as, as, as much as I probably would have in this spot, considering their um, his strengths and weaknesses still... Lynn kind of struggled, which is uh, worth pointing out there. Uh, Dwayne Devin was the other center that the Hawks started. He, they, they played the Twin Tower lineup again in this game. 14 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 steals for Devin, who was very active. Minus 13 in terms of the plus-minus. The starters were kind of beat up in this game, aside from Kevin Herter and Trey Young. The other three guys had some uh, rough t- had some rough goes of it. But Devin was efficient, at least, offensively, with 5-6 from the floor, 2-3 or three from 3. And I thought he played pretty well, honestly. It wasn't like he was um, picked on too much. It wasn't a great game for Dwayne Devin, I don't think. The numbers probably make him look a little bit, a little bit better than he actually was, but I thought he was okay for the most part. Um, Kent, Kent Bazemore struggled again, as I mentioned before. Had the one nice run late in the second quarter, but still 5 of 16 from the floor, 2 of 9 from 3. Just has not been able to make shots. Recently was minus 22, by far the game worst number. 18 points, though, for Kent, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. I thought he was better in this game. Will Pierce said this as much after the game as well in his post-game address. But, um, yeah, just he hasn't been efficient recently. Came into the game 5 of 30 and then 5 of 16 here, so he's now 10 of 46 in his last handful of games. That's going to get you beat a lot. And, you know, I've, I've always been a big fan of, of Baysmore, but he's not been playing well recently. And at, at, for, you know, big picture-wise, the Hawks need him to play better, obviously. And we'll see how uh, what, what his role looks like when Prince is back in the lineup on Wednesday. Uh, Kevin Herter, I mentioned before, got the the jersey swap with, with Wayne Wade. I thought he was pretty good, and this guy had some nice moments. 13 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists. 5-10 from the floor, 3 of 8 from 3. A pretty efficient game from Herter. Uh, defensively had some uh, interestingly bad moments, but still, um, you know, for the most part, does, does does what he needs to do. Just doesn't play with too much force defensively. Had 5 fouls, which is, you know, a lot for Kevin Herter, uh, including 3 of the first 7 minutes for him. But I thought he was okay and uh, played pretty well and allowed the Hawks to sort of hang around when he, was, when he was on the floor, obviously. And then finally in the starting lineup, Trey Young cooled off finally after his red-hot run where he was averaging 35-10, and 10, obviously, last week. And since the All-Star break, he's been absolutely ridiculous. So he was probably due for one cool spot, but 14 points, eight assists, which is nice, of course, three rebounds and eight turnovers. This is obviously obviously too many. He was bothered a little bit by the traps. And uh, to be fair to him, Miami plays a lot of length. You know, he's not he's probably not used to seeing Justice Winslow. Obviously, there are teams that have been throwing length at him all season long, but Winslow is a legit six seven six eight. And then you have um, Josh Richardson, who's also an excellent defender on the perimeter. No uh, no easy spots there for Young um, on offense. The turnovers are too many. I didn't think he was terrible. Just had, definitely uncomfortable in the way that he has not been for a while there. 4 11 from the floor, 0-4 from 3. So, you know, no, nothing really to see here. He was just kind of due for one of these, and it happened in this game. Um, off the bench, 
Uh, Justin Anderson didn't, didn't play much. Eight minutes was plus four. He was used as a sort of a defensive-only sub down the stretch of this game, which is probably his role. It's sort of the evolutionary Mario West. If you are a longtime Hawks fan, you will know that reference. But sort of a spot player, definitely a pure specialist right now with where the Hawks are being, where the Hawks are using him. And uh, I'll leave that there for now. Joe Adams had a nice game. I thought eight points, four assists, a steal, and a turnover, one rebound, um, three or five from the floor, two of three from three. I know Jeff Siegel was manning the Peachtree Hoops account on the, on this evening and sort of mentioned just offhandedly that Adams was playing well, but probably isn't going to be an NBA player in the long term. I think I agree with that. Still, we talked about him a little bit yesterday on the podcast. You know, you could definitely see what the Hawks see in him, and it's something I've liked about him for a while is his shot making and his ability with the ball in his hands as a shooter off the dribble. And the passing was good in this game, but you know, you can also see the weaknesses as well. So you kind of have to choose what you want to see from Jalen Adams. But he definitely played well in this game. If he's going to shoot the ball that he, the way that he has the last couple games, he can definitely stick around. But no one shoots that well, you know, on a on a full scale basis. So we'll see how Adams fares in the uh, in the coming days. B.J. Johnson didn't, didn't play quite as much in this game, 14 minutes, but I thought was pretty good again. Six points, five rebounds, a steal. Was pretty active. He's pretty long. Um, only took one three in this game and missed it. It was his first missed shot of his NBA career um, in terms of just the way that he's played this year. But, yeah, I like I still like him. Nothing's really changed from yesterday's podcast. We, uh, we went a little bit deeper, so if you missed that, go back and listen to that one from Sunday night into Monday morning. But I thought, I thought Johnson was pretty good in this game. The other three guys that were off the bench had bigger roles. Um, Alex Poitras didn't shoot it great, one of six from the floor. Not his strength on the offensive end of the floor, but was a game-best plus 16 for the Hawks. Six points, six rebounds, uh, and a block shot. He was just active and flying around defensively, as he always does. You know, Jeff Siegel, that's sort of his guy. Uh, I, I like him, too. Offensively, he is definitely a weak link when he's on the floor. There's no question about that. But the defense is, was very helpful in this spot, and he just sort of fit a, a good role against this Miami Heat team. Uh, I mentioned before, Bembry had a couple of huge highlight plays, but was also plus 15, which was great off the bench. 11 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 assists for DeAndre. It was a good game for him. Only one turnover and a steal and a block. So he was very active and very efficient. 5-9 from the floor, 1-2 from 3. So a definitely a plus Bembry game, which was uh, nice to see from him. And finally, the story of the night for the Hawks offensively was Vince Carter. 21 points on 7 of 11 from 3. Misses only 3 twos, which, which doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because when you shoot the ball like that, he was uh, very, very good here. Four rebounds as well, an assist and a steal. Played pretty good defense late in this game, I thought, as well. Vince was, uh, you know, still, I said this during the game, but he's an elite three-point shooter at this point. I think people obviously know that he can shoot it, and that's why he's played a lot this year. But I think it's worth saying that, like, he really is an elite three-point shooter. Like, he's 39% for the year coming into the game, and uh, recently he's been scalding hot. I think he's above 40% now after this game. I've not had the cue into the stats, but, you know, Vince has been great as, as a three-point shooter throughout the season. You know, not not he's definitely at a career high in terms of uh, three-point attempt rate. He's just getting them up. That's his role on this team, which is worth noting. But still, this is a legit 40% three-point shooter and uh, on real volume. So that's worth pointing out. But seven threes is still there, and he was uh, – couple of those were off the dribble too. It was like this, this, these were only catch and shoots from Vince. He was creating a little bit and uh, it was definitely fun to see Wade and Carter going back and forth blow by blow in the fourth quarter. A couple of legends, a couple of future Hall of Famers. Obviously Wade's on sort of a different tier than Vince in my opinion as, in terms of just overall impact. Wade is a you know top five shooting guard of all time kind of undisputedly whereas Vince is a little bit a little bit further down than that uh, on that wing list but still Wade, um, Wade, and, Wade and Carter go, kind of going one-on-one a little bit down the stretch was a lot of fun and uh, even if the Hawks lost this game it was enjoyable. So that's enough on this game, I think, um, in terms of the podcast. But, you know, 
you know, again, one more time here, overall, the Hawks played okay and competed really well. It's pretty encouraging, honestly. Third night, third uh, game in four nights to go in and not get beat up by a team that's probably a little bit better than you on their home floor. Granted, Miami's bad at home this year, probably one of the worst home teams in the league, but still, the Hawks were not supposed to win this game, and they were able to get this thing and make it very interesting down the stretch. So, shouts to them for that. Uh, as I mentioned before, the Hawks will be back at home on Wednesday against the Spurs. I will be in the building for that one. That might be the next time we do a podcast because of uh, all the catch-up that I have to do from my trip, all that fun stuff, and then, uh, hopefully you guys appreciated the emergency-level podcast that I brought to you from uh, from abroad. So uh, that, that that might be it from now uh, until after that game. So it might, might take one might take one day off unless something crazy happens. But every time I say that, something, something crazy does happen. So don't hold me to it. But uh, at the very latest, we'll have a podcast from the arena or either from the arena or from the studio Wednesday night late after the game. So please stay tuned for that. Please subscribe. We'll see you guys in a couple days.